Well, good morning. I get very nervous with that kind of in introduction. <laughs> Hopefully you're not looking at me and have your expectations on God, not on me. Because if you have it on me, I will fail you. This morning, I'm going to be speaking on a passage that maybe Pastor Tom already preached on. But I waited on it. Like when you see a movie, there always will be a prequel and then a sequel. So this particular passage that we're going to read will have a prequel and I will stop. And if I do that, it'll take three services. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some flashbacks. How's that? So some flashbacks to the passage. And then, uh, I'm really excited about the sequel. That's where I'm going to land on. But I have to talk about this passage for a few minutes and then go to the sequel. Is that okay with this? So as is the custom of our church, can you please stand for the reading of the word? And I'm asking Pastor Sarah to come and read uh, for us. This is 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 10. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baal in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with cassinets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. And they came to the threshing floor of Nacon. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against as a, because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath and broke out, had broke out against Uzzah. So to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. You may be seated. This passage is in the context of where, at this moment, as we speak, David is in the height of his um, influence, of his power, of his position. He was feared amongst all the other nations around him because the Lord was with him. And they even acknowledged that. In this process, David wanted to bring the ark to the city of David. And so he says, let's do it. And he knew that the ark was in Abinadab's home. So that's where the prequel comes in. How did the ark come to Abinadab's place in the first place? And how long has it been? For that, I'm going to take us to... 1 Samuel, I'm just read very quickly, um, otherwise you will pressure me. And this is in verse 
chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. And the men of Beth and Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath and Jerom, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the men of Kirjath and Jerom came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath Jerom a long time. It was there for 20 years. So that's important for us because this ark had been in Abinadab's place. He was a Levite and it was in his house for 20 years. And he had two sons, Uzzah and Ahio. Uzzah means strength. And Ahio means brotherly love. I mean, he was always friendly with people. So now here's, you've got to get into this uh, visual now. Here's uh, David, King David. He, in another version, it says he had choice men from whole of Israel, 30,000 of them. Can you imagine? He wanted a big show. He became a national event. He made sure everybody in Israel knew what is going to happen in the city of David because he was going to bring the ark. The ark of the covenant, as we read, is the presence of God. So he goes up there, and then they bring the ark out and puts it on a cart yoked by the oxen. Now, we have to go for another prequel for this. Why a cart? Because, remember, I'm going to revisit the same um, prequel. Remember when King Saul was always after David uh, running and David was running all over the place, hiding or running away. And then finally, he says, I'll go to the Philistine country and goes to uh, Ashish, the king of one of the uh, kings, the lords of the Philistines. And he goes there. This is the, uh, the enemy and he goes there and kind of takes refuge in a city called Gath. He stays in Gath for 16 months. And in that 16 months, he's been exposed to all the customs and rituals of Dagon, their god, and how they move their idols. For them, to move an idol on a cart is a big deal. And they decorate the card, they do this, they do that. And if you are in India, you would have a f festival where they do the same thing. It is grand. Everything is grand. They bring the idol out and then finally drown it in a lake or, an, um, or in the sea if you're living by the seaside. So he saw that. And in that prequel, how did this... Um, Ark come into this place where he says, 
Who shall stand before the holy God? And right before that, what had happened is they had, these Philistines had real problems with the ark because they kept the ark right next to the, um, the statue or the idol of Dagon. And the next day, the Dagon statue falls face down. So they go and they they re-erected, they put it back in place, and the next day, the day after, they come again, and they find Dagon again flat, face down, and the arms were um, broken and torso, and they did not want to do anything else. They did not even want to go into the temple anymore because they knew the power of the ark. And so they decided, oh my goodness, this is the Hebrew, the, uh, the God of the Hebrews. So how do we deal with this? So they got two cows. That's important for the next part of the uh, message that we're going. I'm just giving you a visual here and then I'll start preaching. I'll get very excited then, I promise. <laughs> so they bring two cows, which has never been yoked before, and they put the ark on that. And they, they let the cow go any which way they, it wants. So it started to go by itself and it comes right there in that um, field of Joshua. So when they come to that place, they get very excited. They use the same cow. They make sacrifice and everything. It was all good so far. But then one of those guys opened the ark and the Lord strikes 50,000 people and 70 people, 50,070. That's, that's what the scripture says. So when that happened, a huge strike, these people said, oh my Lord, this is too holy for us. How can we have it here? How can we have it here? And that's when they sent the messengers to Kirijath where the ark was. Now this is an important part that you must understand in the whole picture when we talk about the sequel soon. Kirijath was about 12 miles from the city of David, about 19 kilometers. And that's on the hill where this ark was in Abinamah's place. Now, let's come back to the movie. Here these boys, when they were young, they grew up in the presence of God. Full disclosure here. When we were living in Malaysia, Pastor Tom and Alice came, visited us and stayed in our place. During a casual conversation, they talked to me about this particular passage. I mean, it was not long, it was just short, but it gripped my heart and I haven't uh, left that, they said, they went to a conference or something like that, and they heard a preacher speak. Are you familiar with God, or are you intimate with God? These guys lived in the presence of God. They were very familiar with the ways of how the priests, the father used to minister. Is somebody listening to me? We could become very familiar with God and yet not have intimacy with God. Is somebody listening to me? 
so that part, full disclosure, I got that. But after that, everything is a first-hand revelation for me. Is this, are you listening to me? So when these boys were growing up, it became a norm, a daily thing. And in the sequel, we will talk about the presence of God coming to Obed-Edom's place. And here we find that when they were taking the ark, in 1 Chronicles it says Ahio was actually driving the cart, And Uzzah was following it. Anyway, small detail. It was on the hill and they were coming. We read that, we saw that. Imagine how it was coming right down. And at the threshing floor, the oxen stumbled and destabilized the cart. And so the ark started to slide and Uzzah put his hand to stabilize it or hold it. And God struck him dead. Now let's go to the pageantry. 30,000 people. It is possible. I mean, I'm just making this up in my mind, if I was the movie director, I'll place 15,000 behind the cart and 15,000 in front. And David bought a brand new cart, but this time yoked by oxen. So it's kind of an upgrade from a Toyota Corolla limited edition to a Bentley. So he wanted to give God the best ride possible. Is somebody listening to me? We are, many of us, including myself, we all want to do the best for God. But our best is within our concept. Because the best for God is obedience. Not what we do. It's called service or obedience. We can hide behind service. And so here's David bringing a brand new cart, an upgrade, because he had his uh, idea of bringing the thing from Goth. Amen? So he brings it. And then when this situation happens, here is David, watch. He is in kingly robes, in full splendor. He's bringing this as a, uh, uh, for the whole nation to dis- for, uh, as a display to see that the presence of God is coming to the city of David. And he's dancing there in the kingly uh, robes and everything. He's probably right in the front there. And the message comes to him saying that Uzzah is dead. And then King David comes and gets very angry. We read that. We saw that. Why should he get angry? Why should he get angry if God struck Uzzah down? Here's why. He had an entitlement mentality. He said, I I brought 30,000 people. I did the best I could. And couldn't God just let this go and bring it to the city of David? I, I got a celebration happening there. He was entitled. Many of us, without even knowing, we get to the entitlement mentality in the church. Is somebody listening? We have entitlement. 
Because we give tithes, we are entitled for something. He was, and he came with an entitlement first because of his position, second because of his influence, third because he thought he had intimacy with God and he wanted to please God. So sometimes you pray for people and they don't get healed. You come with an entitlement saying that, God, you have to heal. Shut up. God is God. We don't even know what's in God's mind. Our puny little brains, peanut size less than that in the sight of the wisdom, the, the comprehensive, the consolidated wisdom of God far exceeds all the brains put together, which is equal to the foolishness of God. That's what Paul says. I didn't say it, so you can't sue me. So because of those places, some of us can sit in that place. When you come to the presence of God, we have no entitlement. When we come into the presence of God, we have no rights. Is somebody listening to me? I know America prides itself in individual rights, but with God, that's out of the window. Are you with me? That's out of the window. When you come before the presence of God, we have no rights. There's only one right you have, and that right is to go to hell. Why can't we fight for that? Everything else is love and mercy of God, the kindness of God, who even in our, when we were stooped in sin, he came and extracted us from the jaws of death and put us into the place of life. How much more thankful we should be in this Christmas. Because Christmas for me means it is my hope. Out of 1.3 billion people in India, God had to look at that whole nation and extracted me. Oh my gosh. How thankful I should be. How thankful each one of us should be. And then he says to them, I cannot take the fear of God comes upon David. He comes back to his senses. Do you know whenever there's a presence of God, the fear of God always is associated with that. When these boys grew up and they became familiar, there was no reverence. There was no reverence. We too can get so familiar and become casual. I've seen, I've been in some prayer meetings, not in our church though. And they can sit down like this and put their feet up. Yeah, God, how thankful we are. Thank you. I mean, yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, God, you can do this. Do this, God. I mean, what do you think God is? Santa Claus? I mean, when the presence of God is there, it requires a bowing of the heart. May not be your, your knees, but the bowing of your heart. And saying, you are God. Now I get excited. We're coming to the sequel. So he is saying, I'm sorry, I cannot. I cannot take this. I'm not ready for this. Because I need to work on something in my heart and in the hearts of people. 
So he takes the ark and goes to Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I'm going to ask Curtis to come and read the sequel part. And I'm going to be preaching from that. I'm excited. Are you excited? I hope so. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. All right, this is packed with stuff, and I have to be very careful how I do this. First of all, who is this Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So I went inquiring in the scripture. There's 20 times Obed-Edom's name is mentioned. And I went to see if it was the same Obed-Edom. I could pull out four different people. Possibly more. Because of what is associated with its name. This was Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now let's go back to the prequel of the prequel. Remember, David was in the city of Gath, a Philistine city. And that was the city with Gittites. Goliath was a Gittite. He had killed one of them. Y'all with me? He's sitting there. But in that 16 months... David exalted Yahweh. And he inspired the Goth, the people in Goth, the Gittites, about Yahweh. And there were people who were yearning. Pastor Tom just talked about a hungry heart. They were yearning for Yahweh. Anyway, cutting the long story short... Here is David coming back to Jerusalem because Saul was dead. And the scripture says 600 Gittites followed David. That means the loyalty, imagine the spectacular leadership that he displayed to bring 600 Gittites hungry for Yahweh. Y'all with me? What loyalty they brought. They were all loyal to him. And they came to live in Jerusalem and, and the vicinity of Jerusalem. And according to the theologians, 
This was that one of that Gittite that David actually knew. And he was hungry for God's presence. And the ark came to his house. There's a big contrast now. The familiarity, and here it was right there. He was very, it was very close, intimate. And in that intimacy, there was so much of reverence. They didn't even know how to do what to do. But he was there to minister and be ministered by the presence of God. Now here's the beautiful parallel for you and me. He hosted the presence of God. When you receive Jesus, when you go home, you host the presence of God. Is somebody listening to me? Your home is where the ark is. Hello. If it's so, are you familiar? Is the presence somewhere in the garage or in the attic or in the basement? Or is it in the center stage of your home and there is reverence to God in your home? Because it's not about church alone. It's about you and me carrying the presence of God. And when we go home, it is the hosting of the presence of God. And when you're in God, what are you allowing in your house that would displease the holy God? Because the scripture says, who can stand before the holy God? What is it that you are doing, allowing, or compromising at home? You see, we all talk about God, and we know we can even pray. We can have fabulous prayers. But when we come home, it's another story. Believe me, ever since Pastor Tom and Alice talked about this passage, I've been convicted on a daily basis. Daily basis. And I want to tell you, I still haven't arrived yet. I'm still working on it. I said, God, what a hopeless husband I am. What a failed father I am. What a friend have I been to people I wasn't there for them when they needed me. I hid behind service. 45 years ago, I received Jesus. And for the last 37 years, I've been in full-time missionary. Carrying the presence of God in all these places that God led me to. But did I have reverence? Did I have reverence? No, when I said all that about bad husband and a failed father, I should have shown more of the presence of God and not my smarts and not my gifts which God gave it to me in the first place. Did I show what it means to live in the presence of God? Did I invest in my children about what it means to walk with God? Yes, I did, but not enough. Today, what's happening in the church worldwide? I don't know about City Church. 
This is what they do for their children. Monday morning, they take the daughter for piano lessons. Tuesday, when there's a prayer meeting, they take the boy for football practice. On Wednesday, they want a break, so they go to a woman's crochet classes to make, uh, what's that called? Whatever that shawl is that they make. Why? Because they, that's the place where they catch up with gossip. Thursday, it's men's night. So they leave the responsibility at home and they go. And they meet with men and they come back home and the wife says, what did you talk about? Nothing. I mean, seriously, nothing. You didn't have anything to talk about God? No, you talked about which bait is the best for fishing. And that is nothing for the wife. She doesn't care about your fishing bait. Is somebody listening to me? The wives need to hear from husbands about God, about the fellowship you have with God, the intimacy with God. Yes, my wife and I pray together, but then there is this part, when I fellowship outside, do I bring some revelation to the house and talk to my wife? Nothing. Friday, date night. So you go out. Let me ask you a question. 10 years you do this meticulously for your children. You bro, invest, invest, invest. After 10 years, has your daughter become accomplished pianist in the orchestra? Has your son gone and become a player in the NFL? Have you sold the best uh, whatever that you created? Apart the fulfillment of finishing it. Some don't finish it even but they enjoy the company. How many men that you met were influenced by your life, the presence of God? Somebody listening to me. And how many neighbors have come and visited you in your house? Or is it just a high at the driveway? Or is it just simply saying, you you stay in your house, you stay in our house, you be happy, we be happy, and everybody's happy. Is there the presence of God that becomes a contagious spirit that you invite? Even if they're stuck up people and their dog barks all through the night and disturbs you, they, you need to invite them. Is somebody listening to me? That's how day to day, in the first century church, the church group, because of the presence of God. Amen? The onus is not on the pastor, because pastor cannot beget sheep. Sheep begets sheep. The onus is on you for this new year, for the oncoming revival. There has to be a preparation of 
truly having the hosting of the presence of God in your house. I know Bill Johnson talks about it. I even had lunch with him with a few, few pastors and my spiritual father. I talked about it. He totally dismissed what my question was and he answered something else which was not my question. He said, this is what I did. He said, I often like to take a walk in the woods to enjoy God's creation. I like that too. One day I was sitting down on a brook and I saw a fish. And I saw bees flying off. I thought in my mind how fun it would be if a bee would dive right into the mouth of a fish. Just as he finished, a bee came and in front of him plonked straight into the mouth of a fish. What's that got to do with my question? I could not understand, but now I do. Your thoughts become reality when you host the presence of God. He told me how many of your desires have been fulfilled by God. I'm not saying that you will become richer. I'm saying you will become more filled with the knowledge of God. Amen? Amen. So Obadiah the Gittite, three months, only three months versus 20 years and God started to bless Obed-Edom, the Gittite, an unbeliever who became a believer. Falling in love with Yahweh. Beloved, our church is rich in teaching. Very rich. In one sense, we have spiritually become fat. We have to exercise the rich teaching in our home. Amen? 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 Don't get upset with me, but look at the kindness of God in my heart. The presence of God blessed him, his whole household, in three months. David hears about this. Now watch this. This is very important. He says, wow, it's time to go. Time to get. So he goes, this time he's not wearing kingly clothes. He's wearing linen, a linen ephod instead of the crown. Sign of humility. God is wanting a people that will humble themselves before God, especially leadership. The display of humility according to the power and influence you have. The more position you have, the more influence you have, the more we need to humble before God because we are under scrutiny. Is somebody listening to me? So he comes. This time, no cart. Because he knew. He knows better, even Abid Nab knows better, that if you want to move the cart, you have to carry the ark. So he got 
The Levites in position after they sanctifying themselves and cleansing themselves and consecrating themselves. And they start. Now watch this. One, two, three, four, five, six. They stop. Sacrifice. They sacrificed. Why? Because... David had such fear of the Lord. He wanted to make sure his heart was right and there was nothing that was displeasing to God. The seventh step, or the first step again, was on the blood. So I tried this. I splashed some water on the floor with my bare foot. I went on that water and I did one, two, three, four. My sixth step that was faded. The water under my soul was faded. You see, you could come to all revival meetings. It'll fade if you don't have short accounts. It will fade. And David displayed that. A 16th century um, theologian says this. He said he had such fear of the Lord after walking on that red blood one, two, three, four, five, six, slaughter. There's 2,000 steps in a mile. I mean, for people like me. 10 miles, that's 20,000 steps. If we had a sacrifice for every six steps, that's like 3,300, around 3,300 sacrifices. He says, never has there been such a display of humility and, and um, short accounts because when the people were lining up, they had to confess their sins along the way. Is somebody listening? In other words, the whole of Israel were being sanctified. They were being consecrated. Now, how do I know this? In my version, not in the NIV version. It says, when he came, when he set up the ark, he gave his own sacrifice. And then he gave everybody a loaf of bread, a raisin cake, and everybody a piece of meat. And the scripture says there were a multitude. So how many, and that too, for men and women, that he gave a piece of meat. For a multitude, how many animals would you sacrifice? To each one, and they went home to celebrate with their family with a piece of meat. And that's because he lined up one, two, three, four, five, six, boom. Guys, are you ready? Is there something in your heart that you need to make right now? This is not legalism. Legalism is you must do. This is the one to, I want to humble myself before God. I want to come and say I'm wrong here or I did wrong. I remember a long time ago when we were pioneering the basin uh, in India. The Lord had us to seek him for a whole year. And then there was one point where God bring, brought a word through a a person that we never expected would even speak from a cook and said, 
we have stolen. I said, what? I mean, please don't misunderstand my, this is not legalism, but this is a conviction. I had to humble myself for taking paper clips from the office without permission and using it personally. I mean, paper clip, it's, what's that gotta do? I mean, who will even miss a paper clip if you take it? But if you have the fear of God, even a paper clip will be equivalent to you stealing a camera from Best Buy. Is somebody listening to me? We all have done silly things like that because it's permissible. But before God, that is not permissible. Now, don't do because I did. That was a special event where God brought the conviction to us. Dearly beloved, I'm not ready for the worship team yet, but in a few minutes. So just be ready. Dearly beloved, at home, there must be a display of humility with you your wife or wife with the husband and the children, where there is confession, where there is access to be real and not just be Scandinavians and put it all under the carpet and pretend nothing has happened. Is somebody listening to me? Is somebody listening to me? Next year! Let us hasten the presence of God coming to our city. Because I firmly believe we are in the cusp of the oncoming revival. But if we don't understand the fear of God and the reverence to God, nothing. We'll just get tickled with some healings, with some deliverance. And say, yeah, God. Yes, of course, it was God, no doubt. But then what? Where is the reverence that follows after that? Where is the fear of God that follows after that? Or do we start our own ministry? International, Durham's international ministry. Just because we saw something happen. Do you know what? When you have the presence of God, ministry happens. Without even going for a single Bible college training. You don't have to go to Bible college when the presence of God is in your house. Ministry happens. Yes, there are offices. But let's leave that for another time. But now, you are ministry. If people ask you, what's your ministry? Say, I am ministry. Wherever I go, ministry happens. Would you look at your neighbor and say, I am ministry. No, no, that's not good enough. Just, just say, I am ministry. Because that is the confession of faith. When you say, I am ministry, ministry happens when you honor God and have reverence to the presence of God at home. At home. Oh, now I want to be a Pentecostal. Now you could be a, a Catholic. From age to age, you gather people so that from east to west, a perfect offering is made. 
How beautiful is that in that liturgy? Amen? So there are five things today in the moving of the ark, the journey of the ark, that the onus is on us. Because when we receive Jesus, when he comes into our heart, we are the carriers of the presence of God. And our home becomes where we have reverence. Where we bow before God. You don't have to be religious. Even if it's one moment. It's not like having two hours before God. In this day and age, people don't even have two hours for themselves. Because they are always on the computer games. One moment. Just one moment of reverence before God. You don't even have to be collective, but at least let that access be for your wife, your children, and say, for one moment, will you show reverence to God in our house? Then when your children don't become a pianist in the orchestra or an NFL player or whatever, they will follow God. Tuesday night is prayer meeting. And we are busy carting and uh, becoming a, uh, what's that called? Chauffeur. Bring your child at least once a week and expose them to the presence of God. Hello? We have upgraded our prayer meeting from downstairs to upstairs. There's enough room for everybody. If your child doesn't have a, an answer to a question, because they will have questions, that is an opening at home to answer that question because the presence of God is there. Amen? Amen. This next year, our church is going to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, translated from darkness into light, brought and extracted from the jaws of hell to the eternal life in God. If we were so, then we will be like David, dancing. I mean, he took off his shirt. You don't have to take your shirt off and dance here now. I mean, he was intoxicated in the presence of God. That is how much freedom you have in the presence of God. It's not always, what would we do? That's not the fear of God. It is joy in the Lord because the Lord has visited us. It's the joy in the Lord that fills our heart. No matter what the circumstances that you're going through, any dark situation. My wife almost died twice, but the joy of the Lord carried me through. It is the presence of God. The circumstance didn't change, but the joy of the Lord sustained me. Next year, I prophesy that our church will display the joy of the Lord in our neighborhood, whichever place your house is. That the joy of the Lord will flood 
It is your voice that will call them to church. Not even necessary to share the gospel. But bring them to church. Because there is another touch of the presence of God in church.